Are you going to freestyle? Please, please, please. Everybody, <laughs> welcome to the podcast. It's not slow. Yo, it's going to make you nod fast. I love it. I love it. Y'all ready? Gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Raj Nation Innovations Discover Your Inner Awesome Podcast. My name is Rajiv Nathan, aka the Raj Nation. I am your show's host, the founder of Raj Nation Innovation, as well as a hip hop artist and a yoga instructor. Above all else, I am a storyteller. And I am joined by my co host, Victoria Cohen. Victoria is the voice behind the blog almondsandasana.com. She is a fellow yogi and a community activist focused on helping you make lifestyle choices that positively impact you and the people you serve. This is Discover Your Inner Awesome, the only show where you get to eavesdrop on conversations with entrepreneurs, artists, and musicians about the stories, the journeys, the struggles, but most importantly, the questions. The questions that help creative thinkers like you and I better understand who we are, what we're doing, and how we can do it better. Is real talk with real people doing real big things to uncover the real side of success. Now, before we dive into today's conversation, I would like to extend an invitation if you are not a member already. Join our tribe by going to discoveryourinnerawesome.com. Enter your email address there, and you will never miss another episode of the show, getting a notification in your inbox every single Monday when we launch a new episode. You'll also get my stories, advice, and tips throughout the month on how you as a startup can make your pitch a performance. All right, let's dive in now to our conversation on today's episode of Discover Your Inner Awesome. Welcome, everybody, to the Discover Your Inner Awesome podcast. Today on the show, we have Daniela Bolzman. Daniela joins us as sort of like, can I call you a powerhouse within the tech community of Chicago? Sure. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> She's a powerhouse <laughs> within the tech community in Chicago. Um, really cool background across several different things, I would think. Probably most popular amongst all of that would be We Deliver, which you co-founded. Uh, it was later acquired. Uh, currently, you're working on Mindful Goods, which is an, a consultancy for brands that sell on Amazon. A whole lot we're going to get into in this episode. Our topic, though, is specifically around like the early stages of a business in prototyping. Specifically, how do you build a legit prototype? Legit is the operative word there. And prototype. <laughs> Um, so can you let our listeners know why this is on your mind and why this is important to you? So I think it's been a, a recurring pattern lately. And so it was, a, it was a topic that I've been thinking about a lot. And it's something that I've been bringing into my day-to-day -day life. But it started back at WeDeliver. And it started when we were first coming up and conceiving of this idea. We, we had this initial idea. And all too often... So many people go out and they just start building their ideas without testing. And I think that's one of the most valuable lessons that we learned early on that we did right. Um, and we started building. And I'm actually going to share with you guys the exact prototype that we built um, because I think it'll surprise many people. And I think a lot of people, when they hear the We Deliver story, they think we just went out, raised a bunch of money, and just hired a bunch of people and got to where we were and then exited. And that really wasn't the case. When we first started, we worked out of a coffee shop for six months because we didn't have any money. We didn't have any investors. 
And we knew that if we were going to raise, um, we're, we're also a very diverse team, um, if we were going to raise capital, we needed to show that we had some traction. And so traction in the eyes of investors um, looks like some kind of validating data that proves out your business model. And so for us, we were doing logistics. And to be more specific, we were doing delivery from stores to the customer's door. And so um, our first point of validation was actually um, trying to build an MVP at Startup Weekend. And so in one weekend, we tried to validate the idea. And I think that's the thing you have to think about is what is the quickest, shortest path to validating this idea? Because you can spend months, you can spend years working on something without validating it. And just last week, I spoke to a couple entrepreneurs who went down the same rabbit hole of working uh, for months on a project, spent thousands of dollars building what they thought was their dream business. And one of them hasn't even launched yet. One of them hasn't even tested a thing yet and has spent thousands of dollars building. So that's the, that's the story that I think we should be talking about and that more entrepreneurs should be considering when they're launching a business. I love it. And, I, and I'm excited to dive into that. So let's learn a little bit about you and your background and, and dial it back a little bit before the We Deliver days. Sure. Uh, you were telling us before we started recording, if I heard it correctly, you're from California. Right? I'm from California. Okay. I'm from so. Costa Mesa. <laughs> so you and Victoria have a lot in common. Right? I, don't know where, County. I don't know where that is. We're Orange yeah. County oh, okay. babes. <laughs> okay. I have a friend from Mission Viejo, actually. All right. Orange and County. a friend who currently lives in Mission Viejo. Wow. So we all have something in common <laughs> geographically. But um, growing up on the West Coast uh, and then ultimately moving to Chicago, what were some of the things that you felt like were almost like I don't necessarily want to say culture shock, but just different and that you felt like you had to get used to um, that you maybe didn't see happening on the West Coast? Sure. So I think where we grew up, it's a little bit different. So right now, back when I graduated college, um, so this was 10 years ago, uh, which is weird to say, um, <laughs> there wasn't a startup scene in LA the way it is today. Um, the, the startup scenes were happening in New York. They were happening in San Francisco. Um, and so for for where we grew up in Orange County, it's kind of like a bubble. And so there's a lot of pharmaceutical companies, there's a lot of finance companies. There's a very traditional path for people who go to school in Orange County and want to stay in Orange County. And most people end up either becoming a teacher or uh, a very, you know, a very traditional path. I knew early on in college, I did not want a traditional path. I remember going to the, to the career center and looking at the jobs and it was like, bank teller, and like things like that. And I was like, what? This is which, no. Which would not exist is, five years later. It was so, yeah, I was like, no, like I don't want to go and work at Chase. Like that's not why I'm in college, you know? So um uh yeah, so I knew that I wanted to to get outside and experience life and and try different things. Um I I got the first taste of startup life actually in Orange County, though. I think I lucked out and worked for like the only tech startup in Orange County at the time, which was a company called Symbaloo. They were doing um, ed tech software that did like um, bookmarking for students in K-12. And it was really cool. Like um, making bookmarks? No, it was digital bookmarks. So basically like the buttons on an iPhone for librarians, they could basically just have a dashboard with a bunch of buttons. So the kids huh. didn't have to go into the, to the mm -hmm. computer center and like 
have the teacher screaming like www. <laughs> so the, the kids could just go in there and press the red button. Okay, that's the website we're on today, and they could control everything. So it's a safe environment for um, for students. So that was a really unique experience where we brought a um, it was a Dutch startup that wanted to launch in the U.S. And at the time, they didn't know that their market that was um, that was interested in their product here was actually education. So we helped them get into that scene, launched the product here, and had hundreds of thousands of students and you know teachers and people all over the world using this product. So that was really interesting. Um, but as soon as I got a taste of that life, I realized, okay, startups is where it's at. That's where I want to be. You learn so much so fast that I don't think anything compares to it. So. Um, so yeah, I, I was dating someone at the time and still am who's a chef. And so when we were kind of exploring what are the cities that, that are tech oriented, that are food oriented, we we're like, okay, obviously New York and San Francisco, but how about something more affordable? What other options are out there? So we were thinking like Austin's up and coming, Chicago. And so we hit up Austin and just like, eh, didn't really like, it was fun, but we didn't really feel like living there. We came to Chicago and had this like, just like love story with Chicago. It was crazy. Like we just fell hard for it. So we ended cool. up leaving. Um, I left a day before him, and uh, we were back and we, and we were living on the beach in Newport at the time, right? So we're crazy to be leaving to come to Chicago winters. But we uh, we got back, and I remember telling him. <clears throat> I was sad to leave and he looked at me and he goes, yeah, I actually like almost like I had this feeling like I was going to start crying when I was leaving. I looked, <laughs> I turned and looked at the city and saw the skyline and I was like, that's the exact same thing that I did. I was <laughs> wow. also in the shuttle the night before I turned around and looked at the skyline and I was like, I don't want to leave. So as soon as he said that, we we're like, boom, we're moving. <laughs> so you turn the shuttle right back around. We were moving. <laughs> yeah. So we got to Chicago. Um, you know, in all honesty, not much of a culture shock. Um, we should have been culture shocked, but we weren't. We were just excited. You know, when you get to a new city, everything's interesting. And I remember telling him, you know, if we get to a point where we're not as like, we're not walking down the street and just like in awe of the architecture, we're not like enjoying our life here anymore, like we can always go back or we can move somewhere else. So, you know, that's just kind of the way we live our lives. So when you got here, did you guys already have jobs lined up or were you just coming here and starting to So work? I was actually still working remote for the ed tech company. And um, he had a stage lined up at Publican. So mm -hmm. we both kind of came and just went with it. Got it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And then um, I wanted to meet people. And the first, the first two groups that I reached out to was Startup Weekend and Miss Tech. And I'm still involved with those organizations today. So what was the, so, so you move here, you reach out to those companies, or you reach out to those organizations, you get synced up with them. What's kind of like your next step? So the next step after that was um, I went to Startup Weekend actually with my own idea. And, um, and it was, it's so interesting. It was a crowdfunding aggregator. And I haven't thought about that idea in so long until this podcast. But <laughs> I was like, at the time, I was thinking, how cool would it be if instead of investing in like Kiva or Kickstarter, if you could put your dollars to work and say, I want to invest in this criteria and it would you know, allow you to invest micropayments or micro investing in certain criteria. So that was kind of the, the essence of it. Um, so I pitched that idea, formed a team, and right away, you just, I felt it. Like, things were off within the group. Um, 
And my whole goal was not to build that idea. My whole goal was to get through the weekend, to meet people. I didn't know anybody in this city. So I had looked at my notes, and there was three other companies I was kind of interested out of like the 15 that were there that weekend. And I went around and spoke to them, and there was, there was some, some piece missing in all of them. And this one, the last one that I spoke to was Jimmy Odom. And he just completely captivated me with his idea. And as soon as, like, as soon as the weekend was over, we just completely hit it off. And we we're like, okay, let's just see, let's do some founder dating. Let's like see how this relationship goes. Let's just dip our toe in. Um, and he brought in, uh, who became our CTO, our third co-founder, who was someone he met at the previous Startup Weekend. So we were this, uh, this little tripod that formed from Startup Weekend. Jimmy Odom, not to be confused with Leslie Odom of Hamilton fame. Because <laughs> uh, we talk about Hamilton a lot on this show. And uh, the point you mentioned there, you did some founder dating. I like that you mentioned that because a lot of people who start companies don't consider that up front. And you know, one of the biggest reasons companies don't get any legs or that they fail and shut down is the team. Um, what you learn from that founder dating process uh, that you can tell someone who's trying to find their co-founder right now? Right. I think that's one of the most common questions, how do I find a co-founder? Um, I, I, I've seen so many people take on co-founders too early and, um, and then it doesn't work out. And so I think there's a very, I don't think at the time we knew that we were doing it intentionally. I think we were, but we were all in it just for the fun of building this idea that we were so excited about. And um, we realized that we had this period of time of building to where we weren't going to be raising money yet because we had to validate the idea. We had to test things out. We, and during that time, um, we wanted to get to know each other. And so it was really interesting to see how we were all suited for different skill sets and how we all came from completely different backgrounds, but we all had this very mutual um, respect for each other and learned how to communicate with each other early on. And I think that establishing that relationship and learning how to um, be with complete strangers and develop that relationship within a six month period was so foundational for us. And was this when you guys were at that coffee shop? This That's is when we were, were at the coffee shop. And how, and how many people were there? So it's interesting. After Startup Weekend, everyone was excited about this idea. So we had we had about twelve or fifteen people working on it out of the coffee in, shop in one coffee yeah. shop. Yeah, and then and <laughs> then and then here's feet. the thing, right? You start to realize like who's really in this mm. and who's not because mm -hmm. people start to drop off. Yeah, and that's what's going to happen when you start to bring on a co-founder. Are they really in this with you or not? Are they really in this idea? And do you guys really work well together? I think you need that that period of time to figure that stuff out and it's okay if it doesn't work out you know it's totally fine I mean look at people who you know are on tinder trying to make it work in their personal <laughs> lives you know it takes time to find the right person so and you'll are you'll arguably spend way more time with your co-founder than you will with anyone with anyone yeah even, yeah even someone you start dating you'll spend more time with your co-founder totally we did we did so what's the initial concept for we deliver you know, so Jimmy, you, you talk to Jimmy at Startup Weekend, you start building this thing out. What is We Delivers like just out of the gate? So out of the gate, we knew we had to get the logistical component. 
And that was the piece that we needed to figure out because we knew that it was a service that was provided today and we knew that it was something that was broken today. So at the time, at, not today, but at that time, um, when you, actually still today, if you go and try to order a courier service, try to hit up their website and try to get a delivery from your business to go somewhere, it is the most archaic process of getting that, getting that order into their system and you, there's no transparency in the process. You don't know where your product is. There was so many pieces broken and missing. And I remember we call, we started, we spent a day calling all these companies to see what the experience was like for a customer. And <clears throat> there was one company that kept us on hold for like an hour to put in like one $50 delivery. And we were just thinking like, this is crazy. This is ridiculous. Like there has to be another way. And then when you finally get on the phone with someone, they would ask 20 million questions before you could actually place an order with them. So for us, we knew that there was something broken. And uh, the other thing that helped us understand that something was broken was because after Startup Weekend or during Startup Weekend, we went around to different businesses and we asked them, if this service was provided in such a way, hypothetically, would you use this product? Mm -hmm. Great. Sign this letter of intent. Okay. One of those people that actually signed the letter of intent kept calling us over and over and over again. And that have became you, our first client. <laughs> that became our first client. She actually called us so many times and called us one day on a Friday and said, look, if you guys can start for me Monday, I need this to happen. Like, I need you to help my business. And um, it was that weekend, and I was actually out of town when this call, when this happened, it was that weekend that Kirk just decided, you know what, if we're gonna, if we're gonna do this, if we're gonna actually learn how to build this product, why not do it with the customer? Why not actually like build it side by side so we're building the right thing, you know? And then we'll test it with other customers and make sure that it fits everyone, but but why not try to iterate with them? So that sort of was the building of the prototype. I mean, you guys obviously probably had like a plan or some ideas, rough ideas, rough drafts, maybe. So at the time, we were going down the rabbit hole that most founders go down, which is we're going to build our MVP and we're going to show it off to investors and we're going to raise all this money. And we were doing that until this customer said, I need, need something Monday. And over that weekend, Kirk jerry-rigged a Google form with Zapier with um, MailChimp. And our first prototype was a Google form. I love that. Crazy. Especially because you can look at, you said this industry was so archaic, right? And I think the default reaction to that is, well, if it's so archaic, we got to do a bunch of things to bring it into the 21st century versus what you ended up right. doing. And it was almost like you were forced into that because someone called and said, I need this thing now that you take that baby step forward instead of trying to do the best possible thing and doing it as step one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this was not the legit prototype, <laughs> <laughs> but this was the quickest. Get it out the door. This yeah. was the get it out the door, but it's also the get money in the door. Yeah. It was the quickest path to get money. Yeah. And so that's what I like to share with people is what is the quickest path to money? So, so, so I've got a question because like I've been 
and I kind of got put on hold for a little while and we like found out we were pregnant and just with other things going on, but something Congrats. that I think something oh, you have, that I don't I, you shared on the podcast. Woo! Pregnant. Victoria's pregnant. Everybody. <laughs> yes. <laughs> She's yeah. incubating a startup. <laughs> I love um, it. So, but something that I was sort of working on right before we found out and something that I'd really like to get back to working on. Um, and I think where I got hung up is that I came up with like all these different iterations of ideas and I and I talked to a number of people and got a lot of really great feedback and just kept feeling like it needs to be perfect and I need to like have, um, you know, it's something that I want to put out weekly. Yeah. So it's something that I feel like I need to have a good stockpile of before I get started. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. Then there's also a part of me that's like, maybe I just need to get like one or two rounds out the door, see if there's interest, and then and then sort of put it out there broadly. Like, hey, I'm planning on doing this thing. It's going to be an evolution, and I want to incorporate your feedback, and it will it will change over time. Yes. This isn't – so what do you think about that? Absolutely. Yeah. So here's – to the first point that you made, and this is, this is for every entrepreneur. Take this to heart. When you speak to 10 different people, you're going to hear 10 different things. Yeah. And so really you have to figure out what's right for you and what direction you want to go in and what feels right for your business, your life, what, where your energy is going. You know, mm -hmm. you have to very, be very mindful about that. The second part of that is that, yes, you should always be testing. Mm -hmm. And it will change over time. And that's totally fine. And I think proposing the idea to people, to your audience, and mm -hmm. seeing if, if they can validate it for you yeah. is genius. Yeah. And there's so many people today that are actually being coached by seven-figure entrepreneurs that are doing that model, yeah. that are basically just going online and saying, hey, guys, I'm going to put this out there. I'm going to put this out there, and if I get 10 people to sign up, I'm going to pursue it. Yeah. That's yeah. what, um, so with my last business, Idea 11, we had built a couple online courses, and we, we pre-sold it before building it. There you go. Right? Yeah. We, and what I told them about was I was like, you're, like, you're going to start here. The goal is to get you to this endpoint. I know the essential strategies to get you there. I just need to figure out the best way to teach it to you. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to build a week's lesson. You're going to do it. Give me feedback. And then I'll create the next week based on what you've told me. Mm -hmm. And this way we can have the best end product. Yep. And people don't mind that at all. In fact, it works to their advantage because especially in that specific environment, they get more, they get more time with you actually than just something completely digital. Yeah. So, like, especially in your case, Victoria, like, with whatever product you end up doing here, mm -hmm. um, I know we've talked a few times about yeah, what it yeah, could yeah. be around, right? Yeah. That's something that there's a ton of value they can get if they're along, along on the ride with you mm -hmm. because you're going to ultimately give them more than what they paid for up front. Right. Because you have to because yeah. you need to learn. And then at right. the same time. It's cool to be part of the development of something. Yeah, absolutely. On, on no, that's true. End. Yeah, people feel like they're sort of part of the process and that they're getting a more customized product, if you will. Yeah. Let me tell you one more thing, too. There's, there's a process that I like to walk through entrepreneurs with when they're kind of in this limbo stage of feeling either overwhelmed or stuck. Mm -hmm. um, and so what I like to do is get everything out on Post-its, right? Mm. And put your ideas. Like, let's say you have three ideas for a product. Uh, let's say you have five or ten. Yeah. Great. Write them all down. Like have that session okay. with yourself where you're like, I'm going to get it all out. Right? You get it all out and you look at it and then you say, okay, which three things like truly light me up? Which three things um, do I really think fits the market? Which three things do I think um, serve my clients? Which three things are going to be the ones that like I initially gravitate towards? Like trust yeah. your instincts on yeah. that, right? Go for those three things and then 
if I were going to do those three things, what would be the quickest, shortest path to validating this idea? What would be the quickest, shortest path either to getting some money or getting a, a very quantifiable number of signups mm -hmm. that would help me test out this idea and see if people are willing to pay for it? Yeah. yeah. Got it. And then I from like there, pick the one. going to be doing that. Yeah. <laughs> you do all three, right? And then you look at it and you say, okay, which is the one? Just pick one. Yeah. Just pick one and go for it. Yeah. And then you might realize in the process, you're like, okay, I can either tweak this thing or I can try number two, mm -hmm. you know? Or you can be in number one and realize, like, this isn't what I want to be doing at all. Well, right. and, and what's <laughs> nice about this process, too, is it's consistently, like, it's customer-driven instead of, instead of hypothesis-driven or ego-driven. And I think the ego aspect of it is huge here because a lot of times as entrepreneurs, we think we know what's best for people. We think we know exactly how they're going to respond, exactly how they're going to use something, mm -hmm. only to find out it's completely wrong I, I think even in like the validation stage too you may think people like i it's kind of like known right you want to be solving a problem but one of the things that I, i've been thinking about more recently is the fact that um just because a problem exists doesn't necessarily mean people want to solve it doesn't mean they're going to act on solving True. it, right? And that's where this idea of like, can you get the customer to essentially fund your development more or less by having a version one with them, getting their feedback and moving mm -hmm. forward. That's how you, you pressure test as you build, right? Instead of building and then being like, well, did we, do we need to knock down the whole thing or, or, yeah. or what? Mm -hmm. Or, or yeah, I like that break. idea of getting people to sign up with like very little commitment. Like maybe they're not even paying up front, but just being like, if 15 people like, like subscribe to, you know, subscribe with their emails to my blog, then I will know that you guys want to go ahead with what I'm going to be sending you or what yeah. I'm going to be providing you with this service to at least just validate like, are there? Because I think that's part of my thing is that I'm sure I've talked to a bunch of people that are like, yeah, that'd be great. I'd love that. But like, I don't know, would they really? And then even understanding like, would you guys do this for this price? Would you do it for the, you know what I mean? Just kind of like starting to get an idea of like how many people would actually do it. Right. And when you're asking people about price, there so many people are going to be like, yeah, I'd probably do it for that. Yeah. I'd probably do it for this amount. Yeah. But when it comes time to taking that credit card out. Actually, right. yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like, you know, I like doing, um, this is what I did with the course, actually, the first round we tested it. It was like, ask how much would you pay for this? And mm -hmm. then if they give you a price, say, okay, I'll give it to you for $10 less. Will you pay me now? Yeah. Mm, I or love whatever that, that X yeah. dollar amount yeah. is. And then you know if they're not serious. Not if you're starting not. at $10. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. That's but awesome. like, you know, they said like, I was like, yeah, to test this out, I'd probably do like 70 bucks. And I was yeah. like, okay, let's go 60. Can you pay me? Yeah. Like right now. Yeah. Yeah. And they do. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. And then if, they, if they're like, yeah, you're like, okay, well, you probably weren't going to buy gonna this sign anyways. Weren't going to sign up for 70. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I love that. With We Deliver then. So you have that Google Forms, Zapier, MailChimp thing as your first iteration. How does it evolve from there? So from there, we actually ended up uh, designing mock-ups of what we were essentially doing ourselves uh, because we realized we were actually doing the deliveries. Um, and I'm, I'm saying, like, basically, the business would put in the order in the Google form. I would get a text message alert saying, Daniela, there's a delivery that was put in. I would go to our system. I would text all the info to the driver. Uh, who was another team member of ours. 
He would go pick up the delivery, do the delivery. He would text me when it was done and text me a picture of the signature. I would drop the signature mm -hmm. into the MailChimp email and the email would go back to the business and the customer. So it looks all nice and it looks to them like we have this awesome system, right? It's us jerry-rigging this thing together. Um, so we basically got mock-ups of what that would look like if it was built. Um, and that's what we pitched. And we said, look, and we pitched it as if we, we had it already, you know? And nobody really had to know that we didn't have it yet. Right. We were doing the delivery, we were getting the revenue. We need your money so we can actually not have to be spending time actually doing this and we can actually build this product, so. So the product ultimately evolves then into, you know, an actual like platform people can use and access and right. get orders on and get deliveries on. What do you, what did you find in that as, as the product rolls out then, what are the more common types of deliveries people are making? Like what type of products are going out or is it just all types? So our assumption was we identified those early on and did some research and we made, um, an error in a sense that we didn't know that our first client was actually the most popular florist in all mm -hmm. of Chicago. So naturally she had more deliveries than most businesses in Chicago. So we had assumed, okay, if this is just one florist and there's 50 florists, yeah. we're going to crush it. Like we're, if we get this volume, like, had, like this is fine. Of the business. Yeah, <laughs> we'll be there. We'll be there before we know it, you know? Um, that wasn't the case. So then we explored other, um, other verticals and we started looking at, um, working with like Vos Chocolate, Trunk Club, like who were the people who really cared about bringing this modern technology into their business and cared about their customer experience. And so we ended up working with some of the top retailers across Chicago and, uh, and then took it from there. Yeah. Okay. So... We deliver ultimately expands into several markets right outside of Chicago. Mm -hmm. um, you end up getting acquired in 2015 mm -hmm. by a company called Delive. Delive. Which is funny. We deliver got acquired by Delive. Yeah. Um, what do you say coming out of that was like? I guess what's your what's your overall coming out of that experience like reflection point. Did you leave with a positive impression? Because I know a lot of times founders are just so beaten down that they like are so happy to get rid of this company that they started with. Yeah. Other times they like are like, do I is it time to let go, et cetera? What was your mindset at the time of acquisition? You know what? At the time I was um I was actually feeling a bit of identity mm -hmm. crisis because I felt like my personal brand was so tied to We Deliver. And I mean, to this day, when I, when I go to 1871, people are like, oh yeah, Daniela from We Deliver, you know? So <laughs> it, it, but it made me feel as though I was losing my child, you know? Like I was losing a piece of me. I was losing, um, I was losing that. So that was a really hard thing for me. I went straight into the next, um, straight into the next gig to help a friend. And I realized really quickly that I was actually burnt out. So it took me about a year to really recover and put practices in place that I still carry through today because I was, I didn't even realize it until, you know, we had ex exited that I was so burnt out. So, so coming out, go ahead. No, 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 come on. So coming out of that, you then get into Mindful Goods, which is now a consultancy for brands to sell on Amazon. So actually, I didn't go straight into that. I helped a startup launch here in Chicago called Breather. Um, and 
that was a really awesome, unique experience, but it was also a prototype for me. <clears throat> so um, I went through some, uh, so these same principles of prototyping you can apply to your, to your life and to your business. And so there's this um, methodology that was actually introduced at Stanford um, that actually walks you through the process of doing this. It's the exact same process as design sprints and, and you know, what IDEO and, and Google have put forth. But um, essentially, uh, I, one of my prototypes was like, what would life look like if I just helped startups launch here in Chicago? This opportunity arose. I took it. I tried it. It was great. <clears throat> um, at the same time, I had two other mm -hmm. projects that I was very passionate about that I wanted to try. So I prototyped those businesses. And my latest prototype is Mindful Goods. And that stemmed from basically um, a desire to want to develop and launch products. Mindful Goods is what you get into then. It's born out of a prototype. How do you, you know, like, like we deliver, which you worked on for several years, was a technology product in its own mm -hmm. that was not. I mean, you were managing fulfillment more or less, but it wasn't like a seller's marketplace. So what makes you say like helping brands sell things is now what, what makes sense for me? Mm -hmm. So what's interesting is I love building products and I love developing products. And I know that that's something I love doing. Um, and so my boyfriend's a chef. We had developed some products of our own. And we, we again, went down this rabbit hole of, okay, so what's next? We have these samples of this food product. What are we going to do? Um, but if you think about that marketplace today or that model today, it's, it's the same thing it was 10 years ago. It's I either have to invest in a sales team or, you know, myself peddle this around to Whole Foods and mom and pops and put out the cash to get this going. Um, or I have to be great at consumer marketing. And that takes a ton of money, you know, and it takes a lot of investment. And so I wanted to develop a model that could be a viable bootstrap model for brands who are launching. And so that's really how this was born is, okay, if we can figure this out for ourselves and we can develop some kind of formula, this can be an easy way to augment sales early on in a business. I like that. The concept of if we can figure this out for ourselves first, right? Mm -hmm. And then we can move forward. Now, with Mindful Goods, what have you found? You've been doing this for how long now? So I'm less than a year in. Okay, less than a year in. What have you found to be, I guess, similar to your previous entrepreneurial experience or perhaps wildly different? I think what's really similar is that when you're a marketer in a startup and when you're really in almost any position in an early startup, you're having to do many different sides of the business. And this is the same thing. You know, you're having to learn every single day. Amazon is changing every single day. And so you're having <laughs> to figure out. Especially if they get out, those uh, taxes put on them. <laughs> yeah. And so you're having to figure out what is the best way to get to page one, to get your product to page one. And it's very, it's very much a growth hacker mindset and model. And that's something that I love doing every day. Mm -hmm. I thrive in learning and building. So, What's your take then on, because your, your history here is on getting, is on being able to sell the thing ultimately. So I think the revenue first mentality is just the circumstances that we're in, right? You know, a lot of women don't get funded. Um, and going down the path of getting funded is actually not as glamorous and glorious as everyone makes it seem. Mm -hmm. So um, I've been in that boat and it's, it's a tough boat to be in to have to, you know, 
have to basically come through for multiple, we had 20 plus investors. So that's a lot of pressure to have on yourself at any stage of your career, but especially in your 20s, you know. <laughs> um, and it's something that, you know, it's, it's, it's something that you really want to, you really want to be successful and come through and, and hit it out of the park, you know. But at the end of the day, I think what I realized was most important to me is that I, I want the freedom to be able to do what I want with my business. I want, I'm completely happy growing with slow growth. Like that's fine for me. Some people just want that rapid growth. They want to scale. They want to exit. They want to be a unicorn, you know, totally fine that we tried it. And I realized that's not the path that I want to go down. So, yeah. And I would say too, right? Like you, you tried it, you have experience with it. You realize it's not for you. Yeah. It's okay to try something. And you know and what? what? I might I might try it yeah, again. Yeah, and, and it doesn't say, you know? doesn't say you're not going to go back to it. Yeah. But it's like, I think a lot of, you, you mentioned your personal brand was caught up in We Deliver, right? And I think what happens to a lot of entrepreneurs is they think that this one thing they're doing, like it's all or nothing, and their life, you know, you kind of have to act in that manner, like this is all that matters, but mm -hmm. at the same time, I know when my, I shut down my last business, I, I was like, how are people going to look at me now? Are they going to think I'm a totally. failure, right? Totally. And then you realize. Oh, I had the same thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then and I remember, like, because I was considering at the time um, potentially just buying out my co-founder and continuing on with the business. Honestly, for, like, the name and to carry on with, like, the whatever little brand equity we had. Mm -hmm. And then I started talking to people and I was like, hey, like, you know, if we shut down, like, what would you think of me? I actually asked them that question. And they were like, they're like, dude, companies fail every day. Nobody cares. Yeah. Nobody, nobody no one cares. cares. Yeah. No one cares about nobody you. Nobody cares. <laughs> you know what, what really was hard for me was right after the exit, everyone kept saying congrats to me. Mm. And that was really hard. Because I was I was suffering with the same kind of imposter yeah. syndrome where I just felt like, gosh, you know, like yeah. exits can go, you know, 10 different ways. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, seven of the 10 are not the greatest. So <laughs> let's just say, you know, right. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like that's I mean, I think when people say congrats, most of the time where they're coming from is the fact that we're wearing this badge of honor that many people don't have the courage to take. We're going through these these this crazy roller coaster that so many people don't ever experience in their lifetime, you know, and we're doing it. So, and we'll continue to do it because we're entrepreneurs at heart. Yeah. So before we wrap up, can you let our listeners know where they can get in touch with you, find your work, et cetera? Sure. Um, the best place to, ooh, to reach me is probably on Instagram. My Instagram is dancing with llamas. <laughs> and llamas is spelled yes. with two L's, you guys, just in case. Um, that's, I mean, if you could message me on there, I'm pretty responsive. Otherwise, it's kind of harder to get a hold of me unless you have a product-based business or brand and you're looking to launch on Amazon. You can um, reach out to me for a free consultation and I can help you out at mindfulgoods.com. Cool. Yeah. So then to wrap up, we'll go one by one. Uh, to answer our today today's question, starting with Victoria. Victoria, our topic question today was, how do you build a legit prototype? 
what I got out of your sticky note thing, your sticky note idea and sort of narrowing it down is that the most important thing is just, and I feel like we've kind of discussed this in different ways on a few different episodes, is like just getting something out the door. But I really like the idea of maybe even getting um, people to sign up or to at least buy into the to an initial idea beforehand mm-hmm. um, and then just getting something out there, whether it's like, it's not going to be your final product. I think like you said, you're always going to be testing and evolving and growing and sort of putting it out there that like, Hey, this is like what I think is a great solution that, you know, from a little bit that I understand, but there's going to be developments further in whatever the product or service is. Um, and just being like really transparent about that when you put it out, that like, this isn't the end all be all, this is like a great starting point and I'm open to feedback. I really like some of the things you mentioned, like the post-it method is, is, is actually something that I feel like you he- kind of hear, but you're like, oh no, like real people don't actually do that. But to hear you say that, no, this is a good way to approach this. This is something we've done before is very refreshing in my mind. And I think too, you know, it, it's almost like cliche to be like, oh, minimum viable product. But then when you look at companies who do it well, there was minimum viable product. Like one of my clients right now, a company I'm working with out of Boston, Wicked Reports, started, it, it, it is today an artificial intelligence-driven SaaS platform. It started with the founder making pivot tables in Excel and selling them to marketers for like $5,000 a piece. And now it's a seven-figure company. Great. And literally it started with him having, he was a marketing consultant one of his customers was like, I'm really mad about this thing. I can't figure out how to track ROI in this stuff. And he built this pivot table out then. He said he made 20 grand in two weeks. And he was like, I think I might have something on my hands here. And then he started developing a product. So it really is about stripping it down to just like the bare necessity. <laughs> <laughs> Daniela, how do you build a legit prototype? So to tag team off of what you're saying, I think... Um, write down the prototype that you think you need to build then uh, to actually get revenue, right? Figure out what's the quickest way to the first dollar. Then strip it down in half, then strip it down again. (laughs) And that's probably where you're going to be. And it's totally fine to start with paper, you guys. Like there are so many people that write their idea out, they draw a picture of their website and they go show people and say like, where would you click on this website, you know? Think about um, almost any type of software or business idea you can sell as a service first. And if you think about We Deliver, that's exactly what we did. We sold delivery as a service until we could build the technology to back it up. Love it. Legit prototypes with the legit boss, Daniela (laughs) Bolzman. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. That wrapped up our conversation. Did you, the listener, enjoy this episode? If so, the best compliment you can give us is a rating and review on iTunes. Ratings and reviews help more people find the show. Therefore, more people get to discover their inner awesome. While you're leaving that review, go ahead and subscribe to the show on whatever platform it is you listen, whether that is iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or the various other podcasting platforms in which you can find the show. For full show notes, references, and resources from this episode, you can grab it all at discoveryourinnerawesome.com. Also, check out our 100-plus episode archive while you're there. whole lot of awesome for you to dig into. That'll do it for this one. Thank you again to our guests for joining. For Victoria Cohen, I am Raj Nation. 
You have been listening to the Discover Your Inner Awesome podcast. We will see you next time. But in the meantime, take care and be awesome today. Wake up!